1: Welcome to Close on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and as always, I am joined by Angelina Stanford and Tim McIntosh. Angelina on the other side of the Cersei office right now, instead of in the, no. the studio with me. <laughs> and Tim on the other side of the country, instead of in the studio with That's me.
2: Right. Baby and, has been put in the corner. Yeah,
1: exactly. How, except I'm kind of the one in the corner. How's it going?
0: <laughs> David, how are you? Just how are... You.
2: I actually saw him wrestle his laptop like an alligator not ten minutes ago.
0: Yeah, yeah that's totally out of right. frustration, David. It's
2: it's been that kind of day.
1: Yeah. I mean, what are the alternatives for wrestling a computer like an alligator other than frustration?
0: Yeah, that's right. I've never seen anyone do that out of. Um...
2: It's an advanced it's great, meditation it's never been technique. A,
0: been a joyful embrace,
1: Th- thankfulness.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, we are here to talk about Gilead, as we have been for quite a while now. We have two episodes of Gilead left. What about that, guys?
0: I can't believe it. So that I can't in- believe it.
1: That includes this episode, and then we will, we will record a bonus episode. So this is what we're going to do for the bonus episode. We're going to record the first half of it, say, and we're going to give that out to all the listeners the second half the complete episode is going to be to pe- is going to be available on patreon for people who are our patrons um that's for anybody at any level so if you want to get that whole episode then make sure you are signed up for that even for the two dollar a month level um you can do that at patreon.com slash close reads uh, and speaking of which angelina while she was in the office the posters arrived so what what is your verdict yes. angelina
2: oh the posters are amazing they're are They're really, really awesome. Them? Oh yeah, they're gonna look really nice. They're just they're they're so well done. It, I mean, it's gonna be an actual nice piece of artwork in your home.
0: And they're they're the handiwork of Graham, I assume.
2: Of course, yes, absolutely. And, yeah. You know, I, I didn't make them. It's not like <laughs> cutouts from a magazine. <laughs> Close reads.
1: <laughs> the collage. Close the collage, re- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the collage episode. Graham makes
2: everything. The ransom note version. Yeah, you know. Well, they
1: yeah, so we just hung a couple up in, our, in the front room of our office and we're going to hang them up in our, um, in I'm grand-
2: looking at them right now. They're amazing. And that's right. That's right. Hey,
1: would
0: you guys post one of the, like just a picture from the office with the posters? So um, actually, yeah. the close reads.
1: Yeah. What we're going to do is I'm going to post, we're going to po- put, grandma and I are going to put them in frames and put them in our office, like in this room we work in. And then we're going to take a picture of that space so you can see what they look like in a used space. Um, so by the time this episode goes up, I'm sure we'll have those pictures already posted, but um, you can find those on Facebook, on the Close Reads Facebook group. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, or on the Twitter account. And, um, of course, as I said last week, we are going to give away some T-shirts. So we're going to give away – one of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to give away a T-shirt uh, once we get to 200 Twitter followers, where we have a new Twitter account that's at Pod, And then we're also going to give away a T-shirt once we get to 100 patrons. So once we get to that, yeah. we'll, we'll just draw a name of anybody who's in there at all, uh, and we'll send you a T-shirt. If you are if you signed up for the like $20 a month level and you're already getting one, we'll send you a second one that you can um, – give away or do you know whatever you want with it um garden in it let your dog make a dog bed i don't know whatever you want to do make a pillow make a pillowcase get an extra large and make a pillowcase um, you can wash
2: my car with
1: it sure squeegee squeegee <laughs> i
2: gotta come up with a whole list of things you can do with it
1: that is kind angelina
0: that's
2: well good. you know that's the, what i do Tim.
1: well you know close reads cleansing your car one episode at a time um <laughs> anyway so we are here to talk about uh, uh the gilead of course um and before we do that we need to say a quick word from new college franklin who's been sponsoring uh, in august and september so thanks to them so much for making the show possible angeli you're going there uh tomorrow to speak at, i am so what what is it about new college that you think is pr- particularly valuable that makes you like actually want to go there and speak at their um prospective students weekend
2: well, I'm actually really looking forward to uh, getting to sit in on some of their classes and to really see what, what they've got going on there. But from, from what it looks like to me so far uh, is that they've got a, a small and committed group of faculty who are not just teaching the classes, but nurturing and mentoring the students and having a real community element there. So it's it's Christian classical education, but in this very particular kind of community mentor, uh, almost like an old school tutor scenario, as opposed to your kind of nameless faceless number of a student in a, in a huge lecture hall where you're just getting the information, but you're not getting that personal relationship with the professor. And I, I personally really appreciated that about my own education. I went to a large school, but I was in the honors program. So it was all, you know, eight, eight students in a class or 10 students in a class with the best professors and and they often had us over to their house for dinner and that sort of thing. And that that relationship ended up being really the core of my education versus the classes I took. So I, I put a high value on that. I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how that plays out over there.
1: Yeah. You know, they claim that they're trying to, you know, not reinvent what you what you've been trying to do with your families and schools. Uh, But they're trying to come alongside and partner with you and continue the work that you've been doing. So it seems like they're doing that. And that's why we are definitely excited to be partnering with them, you know, not only on this podcast, but Greg Wilbur is going to be speaking in Colorado at our regional conference where you'll be, Tim. And he's speaking at our summer conference and already signed up for that. So um, they're good friends of ours. And, you know, that's why They're, they're just doing great work um speaking of that colorado trip if you want to hear tim and you want to hear greg wilbur speak uh, there is still a little bit of space left i think maybe 30 or 40 seats still left for the colorado event which is uh, the weekend of october 21st i believe and that so,
2: location that's crazy you're gonna crazy. guess you're gonna be in the most beautiful place uh, david are you going
1: I'm not going because I have a secret mission that I can't talk about yet, except you might already know about okay. it. But there's a reason I can't I go. Think... Alas. Right. What secret mission, David? I can't talk I, about
0: this on the air. I,
1: I, I can't. It's, it's, a, it's a
0: secret. What, it's what a part s- of secret? Well, I'm clear.
1: <laughs> yeah, what part of the mission? The secret part? <laughs> <laughs> Tim, Tim, I'll talk to you. The rest of you will have okay. to wait till the the rest of these people listening... The rest of you people will have to wait until the winter issue of our magazine comes out.
0: Ooh. I'm on a magazine
1: mission uh, around the time of the the Colorado trip, so uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be going there either. So, Tim, you're going to have to hold down the close reads for it for us. Okay, I'm going to do my best. Well, work
0: on your fake
2: signature of Angelina yeah, Stanford. Uh, Just work <laughs> on that.
1: Well speaking of the Close Reads Fort we probably should go ahead and defend it. Let's talk um let's talk Gilead. Um, we are nearing the stretch run. This is the end of you know, basically this this part of the book. At the end of at page two fifteen, this long section ends, we get a full hard stop, you know, and then the next section starts. Um, and we learn a lot about Jack. Um Jack Am- Jack Bowden, and we learn a lot about how Lila and John Ames came together in this section. Um, so I'm curious from the two of you if your perspectives on what we talked about with John and his fear of Jack have changed. So have your perspectives of that fear changed either in the way his perspectives have changed or just in based on the evolving nature of what we know about Jack Uh, and and Tim, I'll ask you that first.
0: No, they haven't yet. Uh, I mean, I, 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 still have that sense that something is up that John Ames is still trying to kind of open his heart to Jack. And I think he's moving in that direction. But there's nothing in this section that made me say, oh, I get Jack now. Um, Again, it's like it's like uh, I want to understand him. I, I have a tremendous soft spot for Jack, but I just don't know what is hidden. It hasn't been revealed. If there is something that's been revealed.
1: Angelina, what about you?
2: this section was kind of strange for me because I do not because think you that the read question it ten
1: minutes before the episode here in the office.
2: <laughs> this is very true. Very true. Um, Oh, look, now someone's coming in. Hi, welcome to the Cersei Institute. <laughs> <laughs> no, he works here. It's fine. But, um, I, I, I did not think that the tension was resolved so the question has not been answered like Tim said but I do feel like the tension went away in this section I did not feel the tension anymore this section starts mm. with uh, John Ames just talking about how basically he just doesn't think he's a threat anymore I felt like I felt like the whole sense of him being a threat was gone in this section and it didn't make sense to me why and it
1: hmm. yeah, yeah.
2: This section didn't fit well with me for some reason. Yeah,
1: I, I um, What, do, way, what do you mean, though, it didn't fit okay, well? Good. No, like it doesn't just, fit well in the book just, or it didn't sit well with you.
2: No, it doesn't. Like it didn't fit in the book. Like this is like a misstep. That's how it felt to me. Like I'm reading this section thinking – Wait a minute. This is, a, this is an abrupt change in this man's feeling toward this character, and I don't know why he does this. Why is he changed? Nothing's happened to provoke the change. The issue has not been resolved. It's just that the tension has been lost, and I don't know why.
0: I, I saw it the exact same way, the exact okay. same way.
2: Well, that, may, that makes me feel much better. It's actually a relief that you said that, um, that you feel the same way. Yeah, I, I feel – I felt like it was a misstep on the part of the writing.
0: And can I say one more thing about that? <clears throat> the conversation that Jack and Lila have uh-huh. while John is supposedly but not really asleep, uh-huh. to me, was such an intimate conversation. It was the most intimate conversation. Not
1: yeah, but that uh, should so that should go to the opposite of what you're saying.
0: No, why? Why if if John Ames is concerned that Jack and Lila are going to get together after his death. And we ha- when we hear the most intimate conversation that we maybe it's not the most intimate conversation they've ever had, but it is the most intimate conversation that we have heard, wouldn't that double his anxiety? Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
2: But I it didn't. It... That's what Tim is saying. But it, it did... didn't,
0: right? Like Angelina said, it didn't do that and it felt like there was actually kind of a decrease in
1: the anxiety level. Man, This couldn't have worked better if we planned it. I could not disagree more.
2: (laughs) All right. I knew I could count on you, David. Yeah. I felt the same way about old man Bouton coming. Clearly this scene is supposed to be that he made this tremendous physical effort to warn or not warn because John is unsure. And it's supposed to increase the tension on what is the deal with Jack Ames. I could not have felt more that that fell flat. Completely fell flat for me. I didn't feel any of that tension at all i just thought this, sec- this section was like a failure for me
0: that's i i i'm so curious to hear why what david thinks
1: i don't even i think okay this section to <laughs> me is it, it's, it's, it's it's the masterpiece of the book
0: wow Whoa, really um, really
1: and I have no idea what you're talking about with that scene. I don't even. I, don't, like, I, I literally, I literally don't understand. Like it's not that I, it's not that I don't empathize or sympathize with what you're saying. I literally don't understand what you're saying. So like I can't follow the logic of what you're saying. So I need you to break that scene down for me a little more.
2: <laughs> it did not ring true. The that, scene did yeah, not that, ring
1: true. That's tr- just vague. Be be more specific. Like, okay. When a scene, that's what when I would scene, tell my student, right?
2: Okay, when a scene does not ring true, it means that you don't feel like characters are acting in a way consistent with human nature, that you don't feel like they're properly motivated for what they're doing, that it feels like what they're doing is coming out of left field. Yeah, but field. That's,
1: that's subjective.
2: It may very well be. I'm not saying it's not subjective. I'm saying for me, this all the tension was lost in this part of the book.
1: Well, there's a big difference between saying it's a failure and saying that it didn't work for you.
2: For me, it was a failure. <laughs> I'm going to quote Matt Bianco from earlier today. In my heart, it felt like that.
0: For me, Angelina, it did not feel like a uh, – I mean maybe it was an artistic well, failure or at least a falling short. But for me, it. I strongly agree with what you said that the – Tension dissolves in this section, but I don't see any reason. I don't see why the tension dissolves. David. Okay,
2: maybe that's what I'm trying to articulate. Is what Tim is saying. What's so the tension? The section starts. So the se- all this tension we've been feeling of who is Jack Ames? Is he a threat? I mean, Jack Bowden? Is he a threat or not? I felt like as soon as this section started, the tension was gone, and then there was an attempt to reintroduce the tension with the Bowden scene, but it fell flat for me. I didn't think it was able. Like I fe- I don't think he's a threat anymore. And I think the moment that happened is when he says, John Ames Bouton is my son, because I was thinking, yes. So everything I said in the last podcast about, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up saying in the next section, John Ames Bouton is my son, that I felt like we were being prepared for that as readers. And so he does say that. And of course he means symbolically and metaphorically and spiritually, my son. But when he says that, I felt like that was a, he's 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 claiming him now all this tension about not claiming him he's claiming him now maybe that's what i'm getting at when i say the tension is gone he's claimed him and then he spends all this time almost berating himself that he has not been the good father for this son it seemed like it's a complete flip-flop and i thought that's why he wasn't nervous when they were on the porch together Oh,
0: can I ask – sorry, David. I want to hear what you say, but Angelina, did you – I don't have John one. Ames
1: just <laughs> so stunned. David
2: has epic. passed out no, I'm in try, the I, other I, room.
1: I'm trying to – I'm just trying to uh, – I'm trying to sort some things out in my head about – we may be talking about different things, so I'm trying to sort that out. So go ahead, Tim.
2: We might be. We might be.
0: Like Angelina, I think, when John Ames hears Jack and Lila speaking, did you feel – I felt so anxious. I just felt, oh, my goodness, Jack and Lila are – they're very friendly with each other. And putting myself in the position of John, I was worried. But then I read John's response to it, and he just didn't seem worried. Did you read it like that?
2: I never felt the tension in that scene. I You're thought their familiarity – the familiarity uh-uh, nope.
0: with what's oh man i
2: thought it was kindred spirits not that they had a personal intimacy but that they're the same sort of person she understands the sorts of things
1: which we talked about last week
2: yeah
0: and i i agree they are kindred spirits I mean the book seems like it's really clear on that but what what i recall in the book up until this point is that lila and jack at least lila seems very reserved about um I don't know. Giving in to that natural kinship that they have, she seems oh, I like.
2: Thought the implication all along has been that they've been having conversations.
0: I just assumed that those conversations off stage were sort of reserved and um, sort of like th- there was sort of a, a mutual acknowledgement that they were kindred spirits, but because of the situation that they were in, they were not going to explore that they were not going to indulge that but that may have just been my uh, me siding with john Ames so much and just really well went, i mean that even the word ind-
2: but even the word indulge it has a connotation that i don't think is true i mean i don't i don't think there's a flirtation happening here but that's i think that I she
0: was that's see, ir- no,
2: I, I don't i didn't read it that way at all just that we're both outsiders in this town I didn't, I didn't read it that way at all.
1: This tension idea is interesting to me because I, I think in talking about it, I, I don't know if, I don't know. I, I think we might have missed the point. But what when we talk about, like when you're talking about the tension being gone, A, what tension are we talking about? And B so what? So A, what like when it, we talk about the tension, what are we talking about specifically?
2: I think we're specifically talking about the tension around oh, the question well, like, of who, you... is, who is Jack Boughton? and so is he a threat or is he not? And we've been talking about that yes. a lot.
0: Yes. And that's what John I
2: Ames is ambivalence about it and his paralysis of not knowing what was the right thing to do in this situation.
1: Yes. Okay, so if that's the case, then what you're suggesting is that movement towards resolution is a failure.
2: No, not at any means. I think that the tension is lost, but without a resolution.
1: Oh, wow. the, so, uh, so movement he's, towards he's, it.
2: He's talking in this section as if a resolution has happened, but it hasn't happened.
1: Okay, so first let's talk about this. Why do you think that so why do you feel like that that, that question has been answered in his mind? And if that's the just tension we're talking about, because I don't read he Go Just
2: ahead. because he starts talking about him way more charitably and starts berating himself.
1: But does that mean that he's not still worried about him?
2: I didn't feel it anymore.
1: Hmm. That's but I why didn't, I, that's I didn't why. either.
2: That's why I said it was a failure because when she reintroduces Bouton, I think that she intends for the tension to still be there and that the Bouton scene is supposed to be this, you know, hard scene about oh no, I don't even know how to read that. Did he tell me did he did he almost kill himself to come over here to warn me about him son or not? And now what do I do? And I just felt none of that in that scene.
0: Angelina, I'm not going to say, I agree with everything you said, with the exception of I'm not willing to say it's an artistic failure yet.
2: Well, I might be overstating my case. I'm having fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, when I, but <laughs> I read the exact same thing, I was like, oh man, what has changed? I don't see any reason for this change that seems to have come over John Ames. What's, I don't see the reason for it. And I think, and I thought, well, Marilyn Robinson's got a reason I'll find out and I haven't I haven't found out yet
2: yeah the book is unraveling for me at this point I'll be honest with you I don't even have to finish it
0: (laughs) no way I just really yep
2: I'm I'm gonna come out and say it I this is this is not my book
0: bold Bold claims on Close Reads, the podcast.
2: I'm just going to go for it. I could stop reading right now and never pick this book up again. That That is my feeling about this
0: book. And And I I know that other
2: people feel very intensely the other way. I know David loves this book. I know Karen loves this book.
1: Well, thankfully, Mm -hmm. a lot of listeners love it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, well, hey, you want want controversy for the show. Here you go.
1: Um, Go ahead, Tim.
0: Well, I was just going to say – the last 60 pages for me, the last podcast in this podcast, the last 60 pages have been, they've read like a spy novel. I mean, I have read them so easily and rapidly because I've enjoyed them so much.
2: Wow. Even, I
0: just, even still. I finished
2: it 10 minutes ago because I had been dreading it all week.
0: No for, way. That is forcing so easy.
2: myself In my head when David said only two more episodes of Gilead, I said, thank God.
0: Just before we logged on, one of the Close Reads uh, listeners, Krista, posted that she has just been kind of trudging through it also, and I asked her what page she was on, and she said – around 160, and I said oh it's r- that's right where it takes off <laughs> but Angelina that's about where oh, you kind of got God, off the train I, didn't you
2: oh man I'm like that last little section of the race when you feel like you're gonna die and you're just like is there a finish line <laughs> somewhere please I could just drop dead right here y'all can carry me across that's that's where I am in this book I know hey, and I feel like this might even be failing on my part because so many right. people love it but just has not been my book
1: Tim I think maybe in your next play you should cast Angelina because she's good at being dramatic <laughs>
0: <laughs> should I write her as a character I think he, or he, should I cast
1: her as an actor I mean I don't know <laughs> I think either oh. way you'd be pretty set um,
2: I think I obviously play the role of Angelina <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think it's possible this is going to be uncharitable. I think it's possible <laughs> that when you talk about the tension that way, you're reading it like someone who's not reading it closely or who's reading it for the first time. So I'm perfectly willing to say that that might be, that's an uncharitable thing to say. Um, well, I am
2: reading it for the first time. So right. I'm that doesn't feel like an insult.
1: <laughs> um, because I, I mean, we've been talking about that. Yes. But you might be relying too much on the com- on the direction that our conversations have go- gone uh. in terms of your reading. Because well, Tim and
2: I are reading it the same way, and we both, of course, are reading it for the first time, and that <laughs> is, and I'm and I'm aware of that. That that was the risk I was taking with this book. I mean, it's I I had said in a previous episodes, we're we're essentially guessing at what the foreshadowing yeah. is. I mean we don't know because we have never read the book before
1: well okay let's identify where you and tim what the the actual common ground i want to just you guys have said it but i'd like to say it like get it explicitly out there what is the common ground you both have on this section because tim says that it read fast he was excited by it he was um it read like a spy novel that that uh um, i
2: had to read it out loud to myself to keep my mind from wandering
1: well that's probably <laughs> personal failing more than the book
2: uh, <laughs> like oh Okay. I felt like I was getting a you know minor oral surgery done. <laughs> okay,
1: I mean Tim and I can just talk about it if you want to leave. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. Um, okay, so Tim, so but but that's not, that doesn't really answer my question though. Um,
0: hey, maybe I can try to um, say where Angelina and I have common ground, and maybe the, the point where we don't have common ground. I think the common ground is we have been reading this book, and perhaps we've not been reading it well, but we've been reading this book. The second half especially is a story of John Ames' relationship with Jack Bowden, and uh, John Ames has been suspicious of Jack. We didn't know why for a while, and then we found out he had this relationship with this um, young woman, and he didn't really take care of the child. John Ames and uh, Glory Bowden did, uh, and it has caused John to kind of—it com- has caused John to look at Jack with some suspicion as to his character. There are other reasons why he looked at Jack with suspicion about his character. Um, but it seems like John recognizes that he might be being hard on the young man. And he wants, it seems like he wants to change his heart, but he also doesn't want to let down his guard so that Jack can come in. And if he truly is a bad guy, uh, take Lila and his son after John's death. So he's kind of been in this wrestling match and it seems like the, the tension, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Angelina, that both of us see is this tug of war in John's heart about both assessing accurately who Jack is and also he's really attempting to not, to be open to the idea that he is not to judge Jack um, and that Jack perhaps is a changed man. And so now for this reading that we just did, it seems like that tension for Angelina and I dissolved. That that concern seemed to just ebb, um, and something about John's attitude toward Jack has changed, but I didn't see what it was, and Angelina didn't see what it was. I am still interested in racing forward in the book because I there's a solution out there. I, I just feel it more strongly than I have that there's something about Jack looming, and we're just getting closer to it. But even still, I felt the loss of tension that Angelina felt. Um, David, can I? We, we, Angelina and I have been like going on about this. <laughs> It's hard – I'm sure it's hard for you having read it – this is your second read, correct?
1: Yeah, at least. Uh, um.
0: Um, and you did not – first off, have you been reading the relationship between John and Jack the same way that I just described?
1: In some ways. Um, I, I don't... I think that we've done the book a disservice, it turns out, in discussing the mystery of Jack Bowden as much as we have.
0: Because we've not... What have we missed?
1: We've just made well, it seem he might
2: like... might not be able to say, say just until we it, get to the end.
1: But we've also just made it seem like that's what the book is about. Yeah um but but i mean it is part of what the book is about sort of it's not really i mean the problem the problem we're dealing with here is that it because it's a non-traditional sort of storytelling we're dealing with a narrator discovering things through his like reflecting on his own discoveries as he goes and so it makes that tension it's going the tension necessarily is going to ebb and flow yeah because his own feelings about the characters are going to ebb and flow it's been doing that since yeah. the beginning it's not it about his grandfather and his own father and about the relationships it's been it about his himself it's done it about his his perspectives on the community itself sometimes he loves them sometimes he loves them a little less um so to speak um or 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 that love for the community anyway can is it's, it's easier for him to express that yeah and feel it you know, like, tr- like, like feel in love with the community, um, other than at other times. Um, but I, f- I think that the idea that this, that, like the way we're focusing on the tension of, um, is Jack going to steal or not steal, but, you know, claim Lila when he's gone, like, I uh, that, that is, seems too, it's, that seems unfair to the book. Maybe it's unfair to the book to to have discussed it the degree to which we have. And I think it's because we talked, you know, it's natural that we ask questions about plot and things like that. So we're like, so what is the conflict? Right, so we're, right. we're, we're trying to f- identify what the conflict is. And that's one of the piece points of so-called conflict that we've settled on. And I think that we may have not spent enough time on... On other things, perhaps. Like, for example, I think that as much as anything, it's a book about, I mean, it's a book about uh, uh, what it means to be family. Mm -hmm. Um, And the tension, that's why I think there's tension in that scene that Angelina doesn't think there's tension in. Um, It's a book, as much as anything else, about um, what's going on inside Jack and I mean inside John and all these questions about Jack and Lila are all tied to his own you know to his relationship with his son because that's the central relationship to this whole book yeah it's the right. one that there is a not a one single moment where there is dialogue between the father and the son that is but but it is the single central relationship in the book yeah
0: that's
1: a um, great point. and so everything needs to be cast like I'm not cast but looked at through the lens of that relationship this is not a book about in the end. It's not even a book about John and Lila or about Lila, Lila, and Jack or John and Jack or Jack and his dad or John and his grandparents. It's about John and his son. Mm. And it's about what happens. What, what do you pass on to your son? What of yourself do you pass on? What, and in some senses, what do you leave behind? So to speak, um, and so everything needs to be cast through, th- like, understood through that through that glass. Um, and, and I feel like that's the perspective that probably we haven't spent enough time on. Um,
2: I can accept that. That sounds legitimate. In which case, then I would say that it's not a failure in the book. So If we, that wasn't the point.
1: So you talk right away about how at the beginning of the section, his perspective changes. And even though I don't think that that's necessarily true, like, I, I mean, having... I admit that I've read it. It's been several years, but, you know, so a lot of it's, you know, still mysterious to come across. Um, like, I, it's not like I've memorized these long passages or remember exactly what's coming next. But I get, the, I remember the big picture, so to speak. Um, but if you open to page, like if you're at page 189 where the section begins, you know, the last section ends at that, that line at the bottom yeah. of 188. So we're getting, that's another clue that we're getting a semi-hard stop, right? Like this is meant to be like a new chapter almost. Mm -hmm. And he'd been talking about the idea of christening, christening him and how he felt like at the time as he's doing it, the Jack feels abandoned by him. Like that's how the last section ends. He says, I'll tell you a perfectly foolish thing. I've thought from time to time that the child felt how coldly I went about his christening, how far my thoughts were from blessing him. Now, that's just magical thinking. It's superstition. I'm ashamed to have said such a thing, but I'm trying to be honest, and I do feel a burden of guilt toward that child, that man, my namesake. I've never been able to warm to him, never. And if you look at a passage like that through the perspective of him thinking about his rel- relationship with his son and like trying to trying to under, like trying to figure out what does it mean to be a father when you can't be there for the son, um, and all these questions that are racing through his mind from that perspective. That's a pretty powerful passage. But then in the next section, it's the ways the part where you say Angela, you read that, you mentioned that he says John Ames Boughton is my son. If there's any truth at all in anything I believe, that is true. Also, by my son I mean another self, a more shared self. This that language isn't sufficient, but for the moment it's the best I can do. And then he talks about how he refers to the institutes where it says the image of the Lord and anyone is much more than reason enough to love him. And then he talks about loving our enemies. And then he talks about, this is where it gets the central part to this little passage here, the bottom of the page, the, bo- the last full paragraph there. He, now Not that I mean to call young Boughton my enemy. That is more than I know. Calvin is simply making the most extreme case off fortiori. How much more readily should I forget transgressions which generally amounted to nothing more than annoyances, insofar as they have even affected me? So that speaks a little bit to your point there, right? Like he's going through a theological debate within himself about how he should interact and relate to Jack. And he's thinking about this idea of loving your enemy. And he's saying, well, you know what? He's not really my enemy in the way that I've been thinking about him. So in a sense, he's been creating a sort of conflict between himself and Jack. And now he's reflecting on it and saying, that's probably unjust of me to do. So to your point about what we're saying, we've been talking about that conflict that he has created. And now he's suggesting through this intellectual and theological debate within himself, maybe I've overstated the degree to which I should be thinking about it that way. And the moment that he's that caused him to start thinking about that is this this vision or or you know anti vision that he had of himself christening the baby and the baby as a baby saying feeling like he's not there for him and so from the very beginning what, it wasn't so much that there was conflict between them but that he felt in himself that he was not able to love Jack the way he deserved to be loved and so the conflict is almost made within himself. As much as anything, and it's also based on his defense of his best friend, right? And that's where you get into the next part. Jack has grieved his father terribly, and he has been, been forgiven always instantly. And I have only grieved Bowton myself when he has felt I was slow to forgive Jack too. And I believe most of that grief was just old Bowton's loneliness for the boy who has been such a stranger to him and to all of us. Um, he goes on about ex- existence, which I have a whole. There's a whole other section back in the book, and in the pages the 50s and 60s pages where he talks about existence and we could talk about that I mean, that's this is this uh, there's a lot of callbacks to previous parts which is why i think this is the central one of, like one of the key parts the most successful parts of this book but what we're getting there is you, again you get that father son relationship so he's he is feeling his own lack of fatherly love towards his mm. his godson so to speak and he's wondering and he was, throughout this whole section he wonders to what degree did I harm Jack by not pulling my weight, and at the same time he's looking at at Jack's father, and the, the one thing that Jack's father does to display fatherhood and fatherly charity to his son is forgive him, and that is the one thing that Jack or that John has been. On. I'm these. Why do they have the names to have to be the same, Jack? And know. he's struggling to do that, you know. At, on his own part yet John, yet Ames or Boughton Jeez Boughton does it without question and and that's why there's tension in there's like a paradox in Bouton coming to to Ames because he's he's been saying forgive my son and yet at the same time he forgives him without question no matter what he does for the pain that he causes him and yet he'll go to his best friend and warn him. And essentially in that exchange huh. with that is wordless, the paradox is I forgive my son. Yet I have to warn him of, of warn you of him. I fr- yeah. I, I've been asking you for years to forgive him. And yet I understand why you fear him. And that, that only ratchets up the, 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 the pathos in Bowden's ability to forgive his son and to love him. And it only ratchets up the degree to which Ames is, feeling of failure towards jack that only ramps that up and then in the middle you have jack who is feeling in a sense his own guilt but the tug of these two these two pair these two sides you know extremes in this paradox and then underneath all of that you have the central relationship relationship in this book which is his true son like the actual son that he's not going to be around for and he's trying to figure out what of myself do I give to this son, you know, both as a seven-year-old and in the letters that I'm passing on to him. Mm-hmm. And so that adds an additional level of pathos. And that's to me where the drama is. The drama is not to me in who is Jack? Is he going to steal Lila? Like, these are questions that are going on, but they're not central to the true tension of what's going on in this book in my mind. And I completely understand that like other people are going to feel these individual scenes differently, so that's the end of my diatribe against your diatribe
0: that, that wasn't a diatribe for me, David that was like a what do they call how do you say it in French cri de cours a <laughs> cry of the, a cry of the heart for us to like better understand this book that you have so much affection for.
1: Let me just add one thing that ties it back to this relationship between the two. If you look at page 190, the bottom of it, in between these lines here, which I think is really important, you get the line at the bottom of one eighty eight, the line at the bottom of one ninety, and in between is his reflection on his on this father like father son loving each other and all this kind of stuff. Or the father loving the son. Hmm. He says he says he says, Having looked over these thoughts, I sat down last night, I realized I have evaded what is for me the central question? That is, how should I deal with these fears that I have that Jack Bouton will do you and your mother harm? So that's there. It's, it is a central question. Right. Just because he can, just for the sly, unanswerable meanness of it, you have already asked after him twice this morning. So there's this tension, right? Like he's afraid that Jack is just a mean person. Yet he mm-hmm. understands that, that his son loves Jack. Like the, he doesn't, she did not end that se- that paragraph with that sentence on an accident. There's this conf- so then he's being pulled towards uh, this this recognition that his son is loves this guy for some reason, and yet he mm-hmm. was questions whether or not he would bring harm just for the meanness of it, which I think is a key stipulation, like a key part of that sentence. He says, "Be me, you know, bring harm just for the meanness of it," um, and then he says, "Harm to you is not harm to me in the strict." Sense and that is a great part of the problem. He could knock me down the stairs, and I would have worked out the theology for forgiving him before I reached the bottom. And this next part is any parent can feel this. But if he harmed you in the slightest way, I'm afraid theology would fail me. So, this—that's another central idea in this book, right? Like the tension between theology and, yeah. and love. Like how, how do, when do they go together? How do they go together? Is there, you know, is that a paradox as well? Like the living out of theology and the living out of loving someone. It, to, to love someone is a theological virtue, right? It's a spiritual right. virtue. And yet at the same time, there's a tension that can also be a paradox in some ways. And so... Um,
0: St. Paul would not have felt the need to write the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 13, right? If it wasn't... If theology and love did not on occasion seem to come in... Conflict. Maybe ultimately they're not in conflict, but the fact that he right. says in the highest of these is love right. is the fact that like he, he's reflecting on the fact that sometimes there has to be a, a decision has to be made, a choice has right. to be made.
1: And I think that's why one of the key, the key things is the idea of predestination, right? The idea of the elect, because throughout this, there's been this debate and he's trying to figure out how do I theologically explain this idea, this mystery that he believes in to this person who he doesn't know how to feel about him. And it's what he's coming to is this idea that like, I could explain, I could explore that theology until I'm blue in the face. I could try to explain mm-hmm. it. I could wear myself out doing that. I could give himself a heart attack doing that. But in the end, explaining the theology of that is less important than being able to love this person who he feels has wronged him in his community mm-hmm. to be able to forgive him. Um, Anyway, I think that's a I think that's a crucial section going on there, um, and and you know one of the things that he is happening in this section is he is learning to recognize he, he's not learning to he's he's trying to recognize the things that she set out to have him exploring at the beginning of the book. So in the first chapter, we talked about the melancholy nature of it, right? And how yes. despite the melancholy nature of it, I don't even know if Angelina's still with us. Despite the melancholy oh, nature of it, um, right here <laughs> despite the melancholy nature of it um he is uh, there's he's dropping these things in about how he loves so much of the things around him right like light and all that kind of stuff and so again what he was happening here is he she's bringing that idea back into it he says on 193 cataract in this world is our cataract that this world is it is remarkable to consider what does abide in it um so that you know that's where the tension is that line there is the kind of tension in it that's in it for me um and if that scene you know if the specific scenes don't work for you you know i can accept that idea i'm not i'm not going to suggest that the scene on the porch you know if it didn't work for you it didn't work for you um if the scene between the two old men doesn't work for you it doesn't work for you um, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not here to tell you how to feel about a book, <laughs> but I do think there are some, some other ideas going on here that, that, and that's what I was just trying to explore there. And we could go yeah. on and on about this. You know, we don't have that much time. Um, but anyway, I,
2: I, I've, I, I've been sitting, I here this whole time trying to figure out why I don't like this book, you know, and, and I don't know that I have an answer, but I have questions like a question of, is this a story? And what I mean is I spent a lot of time thinking about what is a story And what makes a story a story and what stories do. And I'm not sure this is a story. It's almost like this is a fictionalized memoir. And I think that significantly changes our expectations of it. And I'm a big believer that you have to let the form tell you how to read a book. Um, and I can't get a handle on exactly what this form is. For one thing, I I, I feel like there's a lot of tell, 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 and not a lot of show, show, show. I mean, all I have done is listen to this man for 300 pages. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. But I don't feel like I have ever entered into his experience. Like, I haven't had that mysterious moment where you enter into the experience of someone else's life through a book. And I don't know why. Maybe it's Hmm. because I'm not a 70-year-old man. I don't know. But I just... I. Can't care about any of these characters because I can't get in their world. I just feel like I'm being preached at.
0: Hmm. Angelina, do you think that um, the fact that John Ames doesn't really know the moral of his story is part of what is frustrating? I mean, he's like, he's on a quest to understand kind of himself
2: that stuff doesn't see that stuff doesn't bother me when I read that in other books I'm I'm totally okay with that I cannot put my finger on what is so off-putting but I I I really tried to get into this world and I just can't I cannot get into this man's experience and maybe it's my own failing I don't know I I just can't
1: I wouldn't I would never I would never tell somebody who doesn't love a book that it's got to do with personal failing because there's so much that goes into that like if there's a listener out there who didn't like pride and prejudice or didn't love jayber crow or something or whatever um then i would never say that that's a personal failing because there's so much that goes into something like that there's the context there's the past experiences like we are predisposed to dislike certain books because of things we've experienced because that is of,
2: very true. And so and there are not things I'm going to talk about on the air that we all know are reasons why I can't get into this book. And I know that that's part of my own obstacle is that I think when I have tried, like when I've gotten close to, to experiencing it, I have ended up stopping and yelling at the book and, you know, talking to my best friend about how deeply I disagree with what is being said here. And I think mm-hmm. that's also part of it. So for me, it is not giving a true picture of life in its fullness because of the handful of things that I have sort of, you know, sunk my teeth into, uh, you know, the dog and the bone. I'm not letting this go, even though it's, it's, it's a side stuff. It's not any of the stuff we've talked about. It's not the main, the main flow of the, of the narrative, if there is a narrative, but there's been enough in there to really just make my back up, you know, where, I, mm-hmm. so maybe that's part of my own obstacles. And you know, not every book is for every person. Um, and, but I, you know, it's.
1: Well, at least I, not every I, great th- book is for every person to love.
2: Right, and I can, I, and then I can. I mean, I could certainly express that I think it's masterfully done. You know, the reason that I go back to saying maybe it's a personal failing is because I, I do try to approach every book with, if there's something to love here, I want to love it. Yeah. And I know that people that I care about and respect do love this book, so I keep trying to figure out what I'm supposed to love about it, and it, I am perplexed.
1: Well, love is a love when it comes to books is a complicated idea. I mean, love always is a complicated idea. I just feel like when we talk about loving a book, what do we mean? We usually it means we enjoy the experience of it. And so, um, like I don't love pride and prejudice, but I, I appreciate pride and prejudice. Mm-hmm. Like I had to make myself read that book. <laughs> um, I like it, I like it a lot and I like it more after we talked about it. Um, I still hate the last chapter but um, but I feel, <laughs> I feel like, um, you know so there's a, you know like a, there's things I like about it without me like, without it being a heart book you know, so to mm-hmm. speak and there's going to be degrees of love and there's going to be degrees of appreciation and all that kind of stuff and there's also just, I'm not saying this is a book like that uh, Gilead, but there is um, there are books that you should just read even if you don't love them, right? So of
2: course, of course.
1: And again, I'm not saying that, that that's what this is. Pride and Prejudice would be one of those, probably.
2: Telling you though, I mean, it's like I just I wish I could make myself care about these characters.
1: Oh, so, okay. I feel
2: like he's rambling at this point, repeating himself, yada, yada, yada. We got it. You don't know what to do. Like, I'm just impatient. I'm ready for it to be over.
1: <laughs> that might be a personal it's failing. It's just
2: like, die already and bury this man so we can be done with this book. I know.
0: Can but I, can I so say
2: nice.
0: one thing to kind of underscore what I think I heard David saying, that the, the main thing – is that John is trying to understand his own history so that he can understand his strong feelings about Jack. It's more than just so his strong feelings about Jack, but that's that's a lot of the second half of the book is about. Um, the story that he tells, that, that John tells on 193 and 194 about his father confessing or kind of... Um, talking about his own personal failing with regards to Edward, I thought was so beautiful. Yeah. I thought it was so beautiful. Do you remember
1: where that is? Uh, 193
0: and 194. It begins – there's only really one – it begins after the break on 193. I felt the thinking about a sermon my father gave.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, just, sum, just summarize break. that for us because it's a long section. We're running out of time. Um,
0: here. Basically, his father – is reflecting back to the break that he has with Edward. It's over theology. Right. It's a theological break that they have. And that theological break—
1: Well, Edward becomes an atheist.
0: Yeah. And it's a source of friction between the father and the son. Um, And the father looks back on that, and he looks back on his own failing. He's trying. He's been trying to find out how he failed Edward in that. I. That was so moving to me. Um. So one ninety four. Oh oh oh. And the father, tells the story of his family supporting his father in the pulpit by carrying his mother right. all of this way to hear his father preach. Right. And. John Ames's father feels ashamed that she would take her life into her hands to just basically show affection to him, to mm-hmm. show support and affection for him. While meanwhile, he was betraying—here he feels like he was betraying his father by going to the Quaker church. And he realizes now that this is an indication of the way that he treated Edward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I just thought that was so— Moving, And for me, uh, especially after hearing you talk, David, it strikes me that so much of this book revolves around a choice between a theological stance and love, a fear of one's, with regards to Jack Bowden, a stance on one's uh, kind of like a moral disposition or one's character and love it seems like that seems like a really primary tension in this book
2: you know you ended Which, up one are you going to choose you, you ended up picking up on a scene that might just be a, a microcosm of my entire sp- experience of this book but i also started to be moved by that scene but then his conclusion of the scene absolutely ruined it for me, this line. And the fact is, it is seldom indeed that any wrong one suffers is not thoroughly foreshadowed by wrongs one has done. I got so upset after reading that. I closed uh, the book last night and I could not read anymore. And I was mad at the book and I yelled at the book for a long time after that about how deeply wrong that was. And, and uh, yeah, what a source of evil in the world that idea is, um, that we all deserve what we get. And uh Yeah, so I think I'm keep having those moments that keep jarring me out of this book and making me angry with it. Because I think she's flat out wrong in that line. (laughs) That was enough for me to not read another word, to be honest.
1: Well, but that, okay, so what page, which page is that on? 194. Is that 194? I'm trying to find that specific line.
2: Last paragraph on 194, second sentence.
1: Okay, so this is—I don't think he fully believes that. Like, I think this is part of him exploring these ideas. Because if you go to the next page, um, if you go to um, one ninety-seven, the one of the big parts of this—if if you were asking me what is the lesson he is trying to get across to his son, I wouldn't know what the one is. But one of them is the idea that we—we—we we, we don't understand each other very often and therefore we need to find a way to show each other grace because he says so if you look at 197 right after this section that you've been reading the idea of grace has been so much on my mind grace is a sort of ecstatic fire that takes things down to essentials there in the dark and the quiet i felt i could forget all the tedious particulars and just feel the presence of his mortal and immortal being and a sensation came over me a sort of lovely fear that made me think of botan's fear of angels Uh I may have been more than half asleep at this point, but a thought arose that abides with me. I wish I could sit at the feet of that eternal soul and learn. He did then seem to me the angel of himself, brooding over the mysteries his mortal life describes, the deep things of man. And, of course, that is exactly what he is. For who among men knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? End quote. In every important way, we are such secrets from each other, and I do believe that there is a separate language in each of us, um, also a separate aesthetics and a separate jurisprudence. Every, every single one of us is a little civilization built on the ruins of any number of preceding civilizations, but sins of our fathers and so forth. That's, that's my aside. But with our own variant... No, no. Sh- with our own variant notions of what is beautiful and what is acceptable, which I hasten to add, we generally do not satisfy, and by which we struggle to live. We take fortuitous resemblances among us to be actual likeness, because those around us have also fallen heir to the same customs, trade in the same coin, acknowledge more or less the same notions of decency and sanity. But all that really j- just allows us to, just really Excuse me. But all that really just allows us to coexist with the inviolable. All un. Uh, traversable and utterly vast spaces between us go. And then he goes on, uh, the plan. And then he talks about the planets may all have been sloughed from the same star, but still the historical dimension is missing from that simile. And then she says, it is true that we all do live in the ruins of of the lives of other generations. So there is a seeming continuity, which is important because it deceives us. And then he goes on and on. He talks more about that idea of grace and then that's going to come up again later in the section as well. Um, And I think that's a response to some of these other things that he's been saying throughout, like that you can't just and you can't just assume that one thing he writes in one letter is the final conclusion that he has on a matter, which is one of the complications of the book, and it makes it difficult. He's
0: he's theologically meandering, not not just meandering, but
1: well, he's wondering. He's he's on a quest.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's, he's on trying. A quest.
1: And at the end of his life, he's trying to figure out what it means to the people that he. Um, you know, even the idea that like the idea that all that really just allows us to coexist in the vast spaces between us. Mm -hmm.
0: I, if we had more time, I would. The The, the, the point about the past,
1: go ahead. The point being, we don't know each other that well in the end, even the people we think Mm -hmm. we know there is a space between us. We can't understand everything about each other. And therefore what we have to do is find a way to show each other grace yeah, so Go on. sorry, I'm sorry.
0: No, I was, I was just gonna say if we could do a whole podcast, I would do it on that <laughs> that paragraph that you just read. I, I didn't know whether to say this is like um, a sad conclusion from a lonely man or whether to say, this is just that kind of the brute truth of reality it's
1: or also this is beautiful and hopeful it's bo- yeah. it's all yeah. of that it's all of that it's the answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> um and but the and the same things come up in, in Barry all the time especially the stuff about the like the continuity of civilizations and like we're all we're all stuck in the ruins of previous civilizations yeah and we're trying to make something new out of those ruins mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and so and that's why the relate and that's speaking again to the relationship between he and his son anyway we need to wrap up um i'll give you two the last word so we'll go angelina first and then tim you can have the last word and then we will conclude next week
2: Okay, mine will be short. I'm sorry I don't like this book, but I don't like this book. Next. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My thought is uh, I hope that we can extend grace to Angelina for not liking this book. It's totally legitimate to not like this book. <laughs> Absolutely legitimate. And I love to today's show is a hard show. I love that David – seriously, I thought midway through, through your talk, David, I was like, oh, my gosh, I love David Kern. <laughs> I, seriously, I, I I just love David Kern. Well, thanks. Because you care about this book so much, and I, it makes me want to understand it better so that I can, like, be closer to you, be better friends with you. I, so, I,
1: can, can I make a confession? Yeah. So – my love for this book is very complicated. I read this book and I picked, I picked this book up once a week for six years. And, thought, and, 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 and Liz, hold on. And thought about reading it. <laughs> and I said I, to myself, I do not love this book enough to read it right now. And yet I love this book in a way that beca- in part because I can't bring myself to pick it up and read it every time like I want to read it and then I can't convince myself to do it because it's not easy. Um, Mm -hmm. I love this book more than I like this book, if that makes sense. Um, Oh, that's well said. And I don't, Okay,
2: I don't understand that at all.
1: (laughs) And I don't think, but part of it for me is that, okay, so the Angelina, this is going to sound a little bit like I'm attacking you, but don't take it that way at all. Okay.
2: I'll I'll just cry quietly. I'm good at that.
1: (laughs) We can talk like down the hall. We can talk about it in person afterwards. Um, I'm I'm not convinced that it shouldn't matter whether or not we like books very much. When, oh, I agree with that. When we talk about it. So I think the question is where do we where do we discuss the things we like and then where do we discuss the other stuff?
2: I completely agree with that and that's why I keep going back to is it a failing in me?
1: Yeah. Well, and I don't think it I mean like I said I don't think it As is a, a failing reader, in me. reader
2: like but no, but I'm not treating my leg or dislike as if it's entirely subjective. Like you know, right, have right. I failed to apprehend something about this book that is worth apprehending? That's that's the question I'm asking well, myself.
1: But we also have been talking about the mystery of reading, right? Like we talked a lot about the mystery of books, and we a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was the last I one. I know, and that's one of the weird it.
2: things about this book. It's just so missing for me. You, and that's
1: why it's not to me. It's not about whether you apprehend something. Like, there are questions and answers. Yeah, you're going to, you're a good reader, so you're going to notice things, and you're going to just have to decide for yourself whether you think things are there or not there. But there's a mystery to it that goes beyond apprehension, that, that allows a book to be meaningful. And so, like, that's why, that's where that love-like thing comes in. Like, I don't always like the experience of reading it. Um, I like it more this time than, like, I thought I would, actually. But I knew there's things about it that are, that are difficult in the way that make me love it. It's hard to say. Like I could do this. I don't know. Like sometimes you feel that within relationships, right? Like you go through a phase. Like maybe it's especially true of your parents or your children, where some, or maybe Mm. it's just especially true of your parents. I don't know. My kids aren't old enough to have really offended me that badly yet. But um, you know, like sometimes with your parents, you don't always like them, but like there's something deep within you that still loves them, right? Mm. Mm. Um, And I, that's a weak analogy for maybe what I'm trying to express. But there's a mystery about that. That if you're asking yourself logically to give you the 10 reasons why you love your parents, you might not be able to. It would be easier to say the 10 reasons why you dislike them. I'm not making a statement about my parents here. I shouldn't – I don't want anyone to take, take it that way. <laughs> sure. But 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 the, if you're asking, like, but in your heart, in your soul, the mystery that you love your parents is still there despite the fact that you could list the five reasons why you really hate them in the moment that they sent you to your room because you did something, whatever, that you don't think you did wrong. Right?
0: I, I think that's a perfect analogy, David. And I was thinking of John Ames's. Father's relationship to the grandfather.
1: Right. Yeah. My yeah. Yeah.
0: Really loves him. He does not like him.
1: Yeah. And I'm
2: fine with a book, a hard book. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, you know, that's not the problem I'm having either. This may in fact be the very first time I have ever encountered that my life experience is keeping me from being able to mm-hmm. enjoy enjoy something and appreciate it and have anything but a very strong negative reaction to it. And mm-hmm. this is the first time this has ever happened to me.
1: Well, I gotta say, every time I read the, Bo- the, the Jason Bourne books, my life experiences about the time when I was a
2: spy—they <laughs> just—I can't
1: get through those books every time. All I think Tr- about, trigger. All I think about is the fights that I had trigger. on cliff sides and things like that. Yeah. Yes. Not That's to make solid. his
2: bullet wound scars—they ache. When
1: not, it. not true. to make light of your actual the actual experiences that you had that caused you to have. You know,
2: but no, but no, but I mean, I, I, and I'm not trying to make this about my experience because other people might have books where it's the yeah, same yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, Right. right. You know, like, like if I ever had the death of a, if I ever had a child die, I know I could never read a book where a child dies like that. Yeah. I just couldn't. And you could tell me it's the most moving, wonderful, life changing book in the world, and I would not be able to touch it. This yeah, or, I know. or
1: it would ruin Jaber Crow for you.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you know. I don't doubt that other people out there have similar experiences or maybe either even times where things are too fresh and they can't be explored. So maybe some of them are not wounds for all time. But just, you know, I imagine if your husband just died, the last thing you want to do is pick up a book where someone's husband just died. But right. maybe at some point you could read that or maybe you never could. I don't know. but
1: Or for so some people, I'm... it's the opposite. Like you, there's therapy in it you know, it, that's, that's, that's the mystery of it, right? We can't, we can't always I speak to it. it.
2: About that. Yes. I thought about, I actually thought about that yesterday. That was a conversation that I had with, with Bethany, that when my sister had cancer, she gave to, she told me to read Roger's book about his sister having cancer. And then she said, well, you might be somebody who wants that and you might be somebody who can't have that. And so I was thinking about that, that yesterday. So again, not, to, I'm not trying to make this about my own personal experience, but there may, there, this just may be part of reading. Other people may have that same experience as well where sometimes sometimes there are just legitimate reasons why you can't enter into a work of art that there's something else going on
1: yeah well and again in a book like this that is and we've talked about a lot it is very theological like this is the guy who's trying to wrestle with theological questions he's kind of bought into his whole life and in some ways he's he's this this person who doesn't understand them is in some ways asking him to question them and so he's drawing conclusions and then he's changing his conclusions and and things like that can when you feel strongly about theological ideas that sort of thing can be you know off-putting as well so um there's any number of reasons why someone would have a problem with a book and i they're all valid probably i mean except maybe being lazy (laughs) yeah that's the only reason Um, i would tell my students that they shouldn't that they're wrong to dislike a book I
0: would like, you know, it might be fun. Well, no, it might not be fun. If Angelina is like through personal experience, this is a tough book for me. I'd love to know. I want to know, David, can you think of one of those books? And I wonder if I could think of one of those books.
1: In the next 10 seconds? Maybe not. I don't know. No, to... no, no,
0: no, no. I mean, I mean, like maybe during the Q&A,
1: the post, post script.
2: You know, that could be an interesting discussion on the Facebook page.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's all let's, drag, let's dig up everybody's heartbreak.
2: Well, I'm not saying you have to say why. I just put the title. You know, as someone who was almost assassinated when I was king, Macbeth yeah. is it's That's a little a brutal too brutal. It's brutal, okay. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, yeah. I mean, if people are up for that. We'd love to hear from you. Of course, we'd always love to hear from people. So keep the conversation going on on the um, Facebook group. If you're not a part of that, you can go to Facebook and search in the Close Reads discussion in the in the Facebook group's little search bar. Um, please remember to subscribe, leave comments, all that good stuff is, is very helpful for us. Um, and if you think that Angelina is right and this book is a failure, you by all means, you can make that case to me. It's kind of a hard sell at this point, but I'm willing to listen. Uh, <laughs> um but Marilyn anyway.
2: Robinson's gonna meet me in a dark alley somewhere. I just know it. Ah. <laughs>
1: No, she's
2: going to come over my head and then that's it.
1: No, she'll just write an amazing 7,000 word essay on the nature of language and it'll be a rant against you and then you'll have to write write back and then we'll publish it. Um, And
2: then I'll sue her for my emotional trauma (laughs) and I will win. (laughs) Because this will be all college students. (laughs) Uh,
1: This this took an interesting turn. Um, Now you're suing her. well, anyway, either of you want to add anything else before we, before we sign off? Nothing for me.
2: But again, just I'm I'm working through these questions about, about why and what is it, and so it, you know, I, I don't intend for it to be my personal rant against this book because it's 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 making me question the nature of reading and what can I expect to get out of a book and what are the obstacles to getting something out of a book. So that's the part of the conversation that's interesting to me.
1: Mm, yeah. All right. Well, with that, for Angelina Stanford, for Tim McIntosh, and for all of us here at Cersei, I'm David Kern saying farewell and close reads on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.